So our first reading is taken from the book of Acts, chapter 9, and it's on page 1041 of the Church Bibles. So Acts chapter 9, oh, it is the first reading, I apologize, starting to read at verse 32. The heading is Aeneas and Dorcas. As Peter traveled about the country, he went to visit the Lord's people who lived in Lydda. There he found a man named Aeneas, who was paralyzed and had been bedridden for eight years. Aeneas, Peter said to him, Jesus Christ heals you. Get up and roll up your mat. Immediately, Aeneas got up. All those who lived in Lydda and Sharon saw him and turned to the Lord. In Joppa, there was a disciple named Tabitha. In Greek, her name is Dorcas. She was also doing good and helping the poor. About that time, she became ill and died, and her body was washed and placed in an upstairs room. Lydda was near Joppa, so when the disciples heard that Peter was in Lydda, they sent two men to him and urged him, Please come at once. Peter went with them, and when he arrived, he was taken upstairs to the room. All the widows stood round him, crying and showing him the robes and other clothing that Dorcas had made, while she was still with them. Peter sent them all out of the room. Then he got down on his knees and prayed. Turning towards the dead woman, he said, Tabitha, get up. She opened her eyes, and seeing Peter, she sat up. He took her by the hand and helped her to her feet. Then he called for the believers, especially the widows, and presented her to them alive. This became known all over Joppa, and many people believed in the Lord. Peter stayed in Joppa for some time with a tanner named Simon. This is the word of the Lord. Let us pray. And so may the words of my mouth and the thoughts of all our hearts, Lord, be acceptable unto you, our strength and our redeemer. Amen. You'd like to be seated. And I'm going to be focusing on the Acts passage about Aeneas and Dorcas, if you'd like to have it open on page 1041 of the Bibles. Now, imagine a football match that you're watching. You're the side you support has just had some bad news. The captain has been called away for a family crisis. He can't play this match. The team come out on the field dragging their feet. All get into place and the ball is kicked off. But our team are all over the place. They each try to play on their own, ignoring the others. The ball is kicked out of play several times. They can't seem to find the goal. By the end of the first half, they're losing heavily. The players drag themselves off to the changing room, despondent. After the break, the second half begins. Suddenly, they're playing with a new spirit. They acknowledge each other and the passing is superb. They run rings round the defence and soon they have racked up an excellent score finally winning the match. 
In the changing room, the manager is asked what happened during the half-time to make such a difference. We were sitting here beaten, he says, and suddenly a kind of presence seemed to come over us. I started talking to the players, pointing out my mistakes and theirs, and they started talking. Everyone was honest. Nobody blamed the others. We took a good look at ourselves. Then someone recalled that the great coach, the one who invented the game, also wrote the master game plan. Wouldn't it make sense to see what he said? We remembered how he literally gave himself to get the game started and to teach that first team everything he knew. So we got out the original game plan and read about the basics, such as each player knowing his place and dedicating himself to it, about pulling together, being willing to sacrifice, knowing the aim of the game, and using the proper equipment he designed. Well, we were quiet. It felt as if the great coach was with us, as if somehow his spirit got inside us. Suddenly we were up, motivated, ready to go. We can't take the credit. It goes to him. Well, that may sound like a strange team talk, but it's the kind of parable of the church. Some churches can become reliant on one person leading and can feel dispirited when they're no longer there. It's then that the reminder of who the church is here for and what the actual church's mission really is and where its power and vision really come from. In our journey through the book of Acts, we have come to a time when the church needs to grow. Jesus has returned to heaven, and his work of spreading God's kingdom now comes to his apostles. So in today's passage from Acts, we find Peter journeying around encouraging the believers and growing the kingdom. But this doesn't rely on the efforts of the apostles alone. It's the work of God's Holy Spirit that enables the growth of the church. In the physical absence of their leader, the disciples of Jesus must carry his work forward. It calls for boldness and trust in God alone. So here we find Peter visiting the believers, the people of God, the believers at Lydia. And here he comes across this man, Aeneas. This man is paralyzed and has been bedridden for eight years. We don't know what was behind his condition, but somehow Peter senses that this man can be healed. So he orders Aeneas to stand up and put away the mat that would have been used as his bed. Well, does this remind you of at least one other incident in the Gospels? In Mark chapter 2, we have the account of a paralytic being healed by Jesus. The man is brought to Jesus by his friends. They can't enter the building through the door because there are so many people gathered 
in the house. So they make a hole in the roof and lower the man down in front of Jesus. Jesus sees that the, men's, the man's friends have faith. So he, does he heal the man of his paralysis? Nope. First, Jesus forgives his sins. There was something underlying the condition behind the man's physical symptoms. It's when Jesus is challenged about his authority to forgive sins that he shows them that he does have divine power and authority. He says to the man, get up, take your mat and walk, at which the man does indeed walk. We're not given much background in the case of the man Peter deals with. Did he have believing friends? Was he a believer himself? How did Peter come across him? Well, we simply don't know the answers to many questions that spring to mind. But we're told that Aeneas was able to get up and walk at Peter's command. Then we're told that all in Lydda and Sharon saw what had happened and turned to the Lord. Lydda was not far from the coast in the area known as Sharon. The work of healing was not down to Peter's positivity or to the man's trust in Peter alone. It was the work of the Holy Spirit. It was seeing the Spirit at work through Peter that led many more to turn to their Lord. The healing was a sign, a sign of God at work. If the church here in Seasalter is to continue to grow through this time of change, we need to discern the signs of where God is at work. Our task is then to join in with the work of God's Spirit. Where do we see the signs of God at work now? Well, we can look at the vision and moving forward with the old church. It has much potential for future growth of the work of God locally. We can look to the work at Lucerne. There's potential for seeing growth in people's faith in Christ and the possibility of more coming into his kingdom. There are other ministries going on at the centre here. Are there areas where God is leading us into further growth? Is God calling individuals to become more involved in aspects of his work here? In the Acts passage, we have Peter amongst the Christians at Lydda. And that's fortunate because tragedy strikes in a nearby town. At Joppa, there are Christians present. One such is a woman called Tabitha or Dorcas. She is much loved and respected member of the Christian community there. She has done much to help people in need. She now falls ill and dies. Those who tend her prepare her body for burial. Others feel that there is something that Peter could do in this situation. They're not just prepared to accept the death of Dorcas outright. 
Peter is just a few miles away. He comes with the believers who've pleaded with him to attend. When he arrives at the scene, he is taken to an upstairs room where Dorcas's body is laid out. The room is full of weeping, mourning widows. These are people that Dorcas has helped. She made clothes for them. This was the time when there was no welfare state to care for widows left on their own. They would generally be poor people. And there were no department stores or ready-made clothes in those days. Even if there were, these widows would probably not be able to afford to buy new clothes. Dorcas made clothing for them. She made sure they were well provided for. So the widows showed Peter the clothes they were wearing that Dorcas had made for them. They felt that there would be no more such provision now. Peter ushers them out of the room, then he turns in fervent prayer. What was most needed here was prayer. Placing the situation with Dorcas, the grief and the raw feelings in God's presence. That's where Peter gains the spiritual strength to address the situation in Christ's name. He turns towards Dorcas and says, Tabitha, get up or Tabitha, Kumi. Dorcas opens her eyes and sits up. Peter helps her to her feet, and she is then presented to believers and widows. Well, does this remind you of another incident? Again, in Mark's Gospel, chapter 5, we hear of Jesus healing Jairus' daughter, Jairus, the synagogue ruler, has faith that Jesus can heal his daughter. Jesus gets sidetracked with another healing meanwhile. And so when he starts to go with Jairus, Jairus is told that his daughter is dead. It's too late to be bothering Jesus with her healing. Jesus tells Jairus to trust him. It's not too late. When Jesus reaches Jairus' home, he finds it crowded with weeping and wailing mourners. Jesus says, why all this commotion and wailing? The child is not dead but asleep. The mourners, of course, laugh at him. The child is certainly dead, and that's that as far as they're concerned. Jesus sends them out and goes in to the child. He takes the child's hand and says, Talitha, cum." The girl immediately stands up and walks around, and this amazes the crowd. The incident with Peter and Dorcas amazes many. It becomes a talking point around Joppa. This brings many to believe in the Lord. And again, this is a sign of the Spirit at work through Peter. And the Spirit touches people's hearts as they ponder on the meaning of this miracle. We are fortunate here to have a faithful team of those involved in healing prayer ministry under Denise's leadership. And it's not a case that we have to work ourselves up into a great state of faith to seek prayer ministry. It's a matter of trusting in the Lord who can do so much more than we can think. We can entrust, bring to him 
those things that are on our heart, no matter how small or big they may seem. God is concerned about what concerns us. He longs for us to bring these things to him. And it's so encouraging to do so with other faithful Christians around us. So let's take advantage of this gracious ministry. In this passage, we learn much about the character of Dorcas. She was someone who was always doing good and helping the poor. She had given practical service to these widows in need, and I suspect she didn't make a song and dance about it. I think she may have been quietly seeing a need and responding to it without a great deal of fuss. Dorcas's are a great asset to any church. In my couple of years here, I've seen quite a few Dorcas's around. People who quietly and without fuss get on and do what's needed. They tend to be in the background and would be horrified to be singled out for praise. Let's be ready to acknowledge and support these Dorcas's. We could all be doing something similar to Dorcas. We all have something to contribute to the life of the church. It doesn't have to be something very public and upfront. Everything done to help the smooth running and welcome of the church is valuable. One example, an elderly widow restricted in her activities was eager to serve Christ. After praying about this, she realized that she could bring blessing to others by playing the piano. The next day, she placed this small ad in the Oakland Tribune. Pianist will play hymns by phone daily for those who are sick and despondent. The service is free. The notice included a number to dial. When people called, she would ask, what hymn would you like to hear? Within a few months, her playing had brought cheer to several hundred people. Many of them freely poured out their hearts to her, and she was able to help and encourage them. Finally, in this passage, Peter decides to stay on in Joppa for a while. Well, that's not so surprising. Perhaps he wanted to continue to encourage the believers there. But it's where he chose to stay that is so surprising. He stays at the house of Simon the Tanner. I don't know if you've ever had experience or seen about the business of tanning hides. It's a dirty and smelly business. The kind of business respectable Jews of the day would have nothing to do with. Anybody taking part in that business would be considered ritually unclean. They would be on the fringe of Jewish society. Peter seems to have had no such scruples. Do we get a hint here that Peter is starting to see beyond the conventions of his day? Is he starting to see that God might welcome those society would have nothing to do with? Well, he certainly was going to have to take that on board as things move on, and we'll hear more about that next week. How about us in our attitudes towards others? 
do we think that there are certain people who are not welcome in God's kingdom? Do we give the impression that the church is only for those who think like us? Are there conventions or rituals we find it hard to put aside for the sake of reaching others for Christ? We may not approve of some people's lifestyle, but we have to see beyond these things to the person. The person is someone who needs to be shown the love of Christ. A time of vacancy can seem disorientating for the church, but we need to keep our focus on the Lord who called us together and on the mission he has given us. From this passage, we've seen how Peter continues the work that Jesus started. He does so empowered by the Holy Spirit. He follows where God is calling him to be. And prayerfully, he joins in with what God is doing in these places. He starts to move beyond the conventions of the day and perhaps his own prejudices. Others see what is happening and are moved to turn to the Lord themselves. We have also seen another great character, that of Dorcas, someone quietly getting on with doing what she can to help those in need. We have now entered the vacancy in the leadership of the church here, but the church has a vision. There are many ministries continuing to further the life of the church here. So let's all be seeking God in prayer for the strength and guidance for continued growth in the church family here. And let's all be ready to play whatever part we can in pursuing the vision that God has given to us. We may miss our captain, but let's remember the great coach and look to the master game plan. So we're now going to pray the vacancy prayer as a way to think about this. Together we pray. God our Father, you call us to be the body of Christ here. Send your Holy Spirit at this time of change. Fill us with vision, energy, and faithfulness in prayer. May this vacancy be a time of deeper love and fellowship as you guided us with all heavenly wisdom. Help us to choose the one who will share with us in your perfect plans. In the name of Jesus Christ, our Lord. Amen.